If I don't move, they can't see me. <laughs> right. Their vision's based on movement. I'm actually impressed. I know that we have a, a start time. I'm surprised how many people are on, are catching us live, like, as soon as we go on. It's a... Uh, I don't know. How many do we have live? It's seven. We have seven live? Yeah. yeah. That's so awesome. It's also a little sad. My, my son is live streaming Minecraft, and I think he's got a few hundred. It's like, goddamn. It's different, though. Different. It is. It's different. I mean, it's different. When you're listening to us, you can do it for entertainment and all this other fun stuff, but the Minecraft, they just sit in the back and, you know, or just leave it on as like... It just you know, goes. Background music, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, you're not going to do that necessarily with our stream, but who maybe knows? Do. I don't know. I'm maybe, not going to tell maybe you. Maybe like, those guys are soothing. <laughs> maybe they do. It's like ASMR. It's white noise. All right, Ralph. <laughs> Ralph, Ralph, right now. Ralph, now, now we're gonna we're gonna be talking. We're gonna be, we're gonna be talking about the news, and we're gonna be saying random words like hackers do like, white like, noise. Is like that what you're gonna say? All these different things. You're gonna like it a lot. Just nice. So yeah, John. Yeah, here you. Uh, you've you've <laughs> seen those ASMR videos, haven't you? Where it's literally just someone talking oh, yeah. nonsense no, and whispering, probably. and it like puts people to sleep. Oh, I tried. Oh they pick up an orange <laughs> and just scratch it with a toothbrush. Yeah, exactly. I didn't realize that was a thing. It is. It is. It, oh, it's, it's a, a very huge big thing. thing. On the serious side, there are many people who, who say that it helps them relax their, yeah. their mind. Oh, I've been doing meditation. I think that helps a little. They got those little meditation apps and it's like, talk to you, just sit there and halfway fall asleep, but don't, you know, just kind of relax your mind. was a, just an amazing and like thorough introduction all right everybody welcome to black hills information securities talking about news my name is john strand and i'm coming from my basement hence the basement look and feel i once had somebody say that looks a really intense studio that you put together and no no this is all natural i am joined by ralph ralph is with us and in, in where he usually comes from you know this bitcoin miner in the background which bunch of people I mean, get excited about? That's cool. If you get it, if you got it, do it right. Yeah. Uh, actually, I'm not mining at all. <laughs> You're not mining at all. Not on these. We usually do that on the password crack with BHIS on off hours, which is something Ralph we've got to talk about doing because we got the new rigs that we're standing up. So, <laughs> and this, and the state of South Dakota pays for all of our power. And I had the governor of South Dakota come through and literally was like, "So you guys gonna mine Bitcoin on this? I mean, we're paying for your power." And I'm like. Yes, that's a distinct possibility we might be doing that. <laughs> and we're also joined by Ron, the shootist, who just makes us look good. And that's just, that's just a good thing. That's just a really good thing. So, Ron, I have no idea what the hell the stories are, because like I said, I've been running around like a chicken with my head cut off. Even today has been nuts trying to get everything ready to go, because I'm in travel next week and getting ready for the class. So what stories do you have for us, sir? Oh, yeah. So I got a couple today. They're kind of light on stories, but, you know, we'll do what we got. So uh, the first one today is uh, Azure function weaknesses allow privilege escalation. Okay. So what these are is in Azure and in a couple other cloud providers, they have um, something called, it's kind of a coin serverless computing. In Azure, in Azure, they're called functions, anything like this. By the way, anytime somebody says something is serverless, that's not true there is a server involved in this function, right? But anyways, these uh, functions in Azure, they run in Docker containers. And uh, supposedly, according to this article, is that there is a way to exploit that to 
gain access to the doc- underlying Docker container host and, you know, further access inside of there. Lambda functions is, is correct. That's what they're called in AWS. And um, I guess this is kind of the unattended fact of, you know, running serverless computing or any of these kind of like microtransaction processes where you're running a um, process for a very short amount of time to do some kind of function. They're used on a bunch of different websites and a bunch of different things. This is how you could do technically serverless computing. So it's on demand. You need to run some function and then it runs and, you know, only pay for the microseconds that it takes. But in this case, they were able to um, exit outside of the container and gain access to the root host. Fun stuff, kind of, that scary I, part of being cloud? I, I think, you know, this this whole narrative of, you know, technology stacked on top of technology, you were talking about, anytime someone talks about serverless technology, it's like, oh, no, 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 there, there, there is a server there. Trust us, there, there is, in fact, a server. And it kind of brings up the analogy of, like, turtles. It's turtles all the way down. And one of the things that I, you know, when I talk about this is like, this is set on top of Docker, which is, of course, I'm assuming it's going to be running some Windows server architecture, which is going to be centralization layer. And then you're going to have your, your quote unquote, bare metal CPU. And then what a lot of people don't understand is that turtles go even further than that, right? Like you get all the way down into, it's like ring minus three, I think. All Intel CPUs have a Minix uh, little microkernel installed that has like a web server and a full network built into it. And it's just weird. It just seems like, you know, as I'm getting older, it seems like we just keep layering more technologies on top of each other. Of course, they tried to address this with like the OSI model. But I think that this kind of highlights the problem, right? The problem is you're going to run into issues where as you stack more and more technologies on top of each other, the game of Jenga, where if you have one technology, let's say like Docker, that has an escape technique, it just doesn't impact Docker containers it impacts all of the technology stacks that are built upon those as well. And this is, this is something that you know, we've been talking about in the industry for years, and it just seems like it's getting stacked more and more all the time. I don't know. That's just kind of my impression of it, Ralph. I don't know what your take is on that. Yeah, no, I mean, I totally agree. We are stacking a bunch of things, and when one thing kind of falls, the dominoes fall underneath, right? And I mean, we're doing this for a lot of different reasons. You know, a lot of times it's just trying to make more function out of something or to abstract some technology that we don't want to have to learn to develop on top of, Um, you know, and in the case of something like these functions or uh, AWS Lambda and other things like that, it's actually about saving money and the idea Mm -hmm. that you could build and just run a function for a very short amount of time. So, I mean, this is all a cost savings thing, but you're right. We are stacking a bunch of technology and all of those rely on each other. And as we break one piece of it or some exploit at the top, it, it does it tends to fall back down into the bottom too, right? You know, and in the cloud, it's not just you as one customer, it could be multiple customers that are all sharing this resource, right? Well, and it's also, you know, you're 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 gonna be shared resources, right? And like the weaponized Spectre and uh, meltdown vulnerabilities that were via JavaScript that we talked about a few weeks ago or like a month ago, where speculative execution was something that wasn't just this theoretical. It was now, okay, no, 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 really. Uh, speculative execution is, in fact, a thing that they can now create JavaScript code to demonstrate that in the browser. And kind of the reason I bring that up is, once again, whenever we're talking about these particular vulnerabilities, as we stack more and more things on top of each other, it gets more and more difficult to actually patch these. And many times, we don't know what the extent of the actual vulnerability is from the, from the technology stack perspective usually until months later. So, and then even patching, like you talk about, you know, you're using Docker. Well, okay, if we're using Docker and then all of a sudden we patch the CPUs 
for like Spectre and Meltdown and things like that, that has severe downstream consequences to the rest of the technology stack that may be relying on those technologies uh, that are being used. So I, the thing that sucks about these articles is I think they're fun to talk about. Ralph, like we get on these shows, hey, this is neat. And that's yeah. fun. Neat is fun. What the hell do companies do about this? I mean, is there any, is there any like action that can be taken from these particular articles that is useful for anybody that's listening to the show? Or is it kind of like uh, Indiana Jones? And basically, it's like, no, 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 trust Amazon, Microsoft, and Google. They have their top men on it. Who? Their top men. I mean, what, what exactly is the lesson to be learned from this? I don't know. Anytime I see a cloud exploit or some other kind of like uh, underlying cloud, cloud technology like function, so it's out of our control, right? Something that I didn't necessarily configure wrong or misconfigure, then I always think about just how do I secure the stuff that's important, the data, right? And I know that historically, when we go to deploy these things into cloud infrastructure, we tend to just say, oh, well, it's on their things. They must be taking care of the data. But I, I think as we go further into how we deploy infrastructure into the cloud, we need to start securing data at rest and in, and in transit. Because right now, we just think of things in transit. It's all SSL, TLS, right? That's, that's how we secure yeah. things. But you know, we should be securing them a, a lot more before at rest as well right so we should just assume that anytime we're moving data inside this environment that it should be encrypted and that's kind of a new model for how we typically have been processing data and developing applications and that's not really easy because you have another story we're talking about scraped data where yeah. you know there's a lot of times where you have very sudden and everyone comes back to the big ones it's like credit card numbers social security numbers pii phi Okay, that's one thing. But if, if you look at like the Facebook breach, right, the 500 million accounts that were found on night and Facebook's like, ah, oh, we're not really going to tell anyone about this. So whatever. And <laughs> I think you were going to talk about the LinkedIn one as well. You're, you're really, especially with a lot of cloud technologies, you have this intense problem where we can talk about the really difficult technological things that need to be patched. But sometimes you're getting into the issues of these, these technology platforms want this data to be available. And you do have the LinkedIn story queued up, if I remember correctly, right? Uh, yes, I do. Okay, cool. Yeah. So LinkedIn scraping. So talk about this, because I want to circle back around to this idea after you kind of set this up. Yeah, sure. And so for everyone who listened to one of the other episodes, too, we also talked about Facebook recently had about 500 million accounts. Now, what I do want to get out in the clear is that these were scraped, okay? In the particular example I talked about in Facebook, they were scraped via a, um, a somewhat of an exploit, right? It wasn't like they hacked into Facebook to do this, but they shouldn't have been able to scrape this data from Facebook. In addition, this also appears at this point that 500 million accounts from LinkedIn were also scraped. Now, LinkedIn is stating that from what they've seen so far, that this data was not not a vulnerability in LinkedIn and that I guess it was just public. It was kind of just like, oh, well, everyone has public profiles and we you scraped it all. Which, by the way, LinkedIn actually does a pretty decent job of trying to prevent you from doing that because this is LinkedIn's business model. LinkedIn makes money selling your data, just like everyone else. Weirdly enough, it's so crazy. Anyways, so the 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 actual like scraping of this data supposedly was not from an exploit, but LinkedIn was like, well, you know, it's just kind of business as usual, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. So you know, we've worked with 
LinkedIn a couple of times over the years, right? So whenever we originally were writing tools like Recon NG that would have the ability to actually scrape that data, and then we had other testers that came in and modified Recon NG to successfully scrape data after LinkedIn fixes it. And just like you said, LinkedIn may be kind of downplaying this and like, yeah, it's not, it's not that big of a deal. We're, we're cool. We got it. But in the background, their security team and their executives, I know, I know they are freaking right the hell out. Not that they haven't been through this a number of times before, but exactly like you said, that is, in fact, their business model. That's how they make money. And if all of that data is now exposed, it can be picked up by a competitor and do all kinds of different mining with it. And it, it absolutely matters. But this gets into how hard it is to try to, quote unquote, secure that data. Because if you want it to be public for your users, but you don't want people to scrape it, you're in this really weird space, right? You want that data to be available for a human being, but you don't want someone to scrape it. And originally, you could just say, well, this IP address is trying to access this many profiles this quickly. Now we can use things like API gateways, Lambda functions. You can go through bots, and you can now start hitting that data. For a while with LinkedIn, if you try to scrape with your account, like uh, if you have an account, let's say, that has 20,000 first connection pay for it, they will allow you to pull the data for like third or fourth connections out, which means that you have a tremendous amount of power through what Google, what, not Google, what LinkedIn used to have was their API, where you could write a tool, use the API and pull that and they shut that API down. Then they got into the problem where they wanted their data to be scraped by Google because they wanted people to do a search for like John Strand, insecurity, not male model. And LinkedIn would pop up as one of the search results. So you want Google to be able to access that data, but not anybody else. So people were changing their user agent strings to look like Google so they could scrape the data. And then LinkedIn got wise to that. And then um, after they got wise to that, what a bunch of security researchers found is screw it. I'm not even going to go to Google. I'm just going to, or sorry, I'm not even going to go to LinkedIn. I'm just simply going to do Google searches and scrape the search results that are cached. And I'm sharing all this because this is the type of like cat and mouse game that these companies go through where they want the data to be public, but they don't want it to be that public. It's just funny because I've actually gone through all this stuff that you're talking about with like trying to scrape data from LinkedIn and then trying to actively stop it because it's actually part of their model. They're trying to sell access to this data to recruiters and other people. There's tons of downstream consumers of you as a business professional network, but yeah, the uh, the whole thing is pretty funny, and you're right. They probably are more worried than they're actively talking about, and they're probably doing a lot of research to make sure that this data wasn't acquired, you know, through some other means. I mean, don't I'm pretty sure LinkedIn's been hacked before. It seems like everyone has been, like at some point. I don't know. It's it's weird, but you know, the bigger they are, the you know, the bigger the uh, the hack is. But this is not going anywhere. And don't be surprised to see more big database dumps like this. And I also forgot when I was reading this article that Microsoft owns LinkedIn, too. So, you know, Microsoft's got all of our data, dude. It's either Microsoft or Google at this point. You're going to be owned by somebody. You just got to somehow, somehow, like, come to grips. Who's your daddy? (laughs) Yeah, who's your daddy? At least you get to choose, right? You know, it's not like it's just being chosen for you, right? Uh, WizPro just said, we're not public, just a little public. It's never just a little bit public. Uh, It it doesn't work that way, right? It's, it's, It's very, very, very difficult to do this. So I checked my sources, and it doesn't look like this is easily available for download. I think it is still for sale of some sort, right? And so... 
it, it will be out there at a certain point. And this just goes into, there's all kinds of good uses for this data, by the way. I mean, it could be anything from um, spamming people to, you know, other kinds of more advanced or targeted attacks on people. But as LinkedIn stated, a lot of it is public information. So. But, but that all is also interesting. And what we're seeing with a lot of these different dumps is what attackers do is they will take the data from LinkedIn and then they'll correlate it and then connect it to other data from other places. Let's say there's another website that has names and addresses. I don't know. Um, let me think. Uh, oh, I know. How about voter databases? So you can actually <laughs> go in and you can start connecting this LinkedIn data, voter database data. And then you can start of like tie that in together. Now you have like the super data set. We have like LinkedIn data where this person works and all these things where they have worked. Now coupled with their possible political affiliation and their address, and then you can tie it up with another database. Let's say a background check database that has too much data that's publicly available, where you're going to be able to get some possible criminal records. So they start taking this kind yeah. of like transforming it and sticking it all together, I guess, like Voltron and uh, sticking this whole thing together. And then you start seeing these data dumps where it's interesting. The security community is like, this is a really big data dump with a lot of data. Where the hell did this come from? The answer is everywhere. Yeah. Data warehousing is a very big business. And a lot of that information is being sold to so many different people and so many different, what do you call it? Verticals, right? So it, it's not just yeah, all- Yes, it's not all just illicit activity. And so, and that some of that data, though, does trickle on its way down into being utilized in more malicious activity and attacks and other things like that, while it may have originated for something like a background check or some other kind of data warehousing that just sells off all this stuff. So it's wild. It is wild how much data we have or that is out there about everyone out there, including myself, and a lot of other things that is just sitting there waiting to be scraped or accessed or utilized. And, um, you know, regretfully, sometimes malicious manners. One of, one of my favorite data breaches was the OMB hack. You remember years ago, anybody that had a clearance on the SF-86s were compromised and it was all public. And I was working with a company right after that happened where they got compromised. And some people in the DOD were like very angry about this. And they literally led with the defense when they were talking with their 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 prime contract uh, representatives on the government side. They literally said, "Hey, this this breach seems bad. I want to make it very clear: there's nothing in our breach that wasn't already breached in the OMB Act, where the SF-86s were breached for everybody that had a clearance." And it was so interesting to see a p bunch of people in the intelligence community and DoD community who are angry just go like, "Oh, oh, well, good point. Good point. It's already been hacked." And it was like that was the end of the argument. Like everyone's like, no, 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 we're cool. Everything's hacked anyway. It was just mind blowing. Yeah, that was a wild one too because it was definitely a nation state in the sense of like that data never appeared on the internet. It will never. It's not gonna. You're gonna find it on some public website to go download all these SF eighty six documents, right? That was yeah. straight up. We got this, but uh, we're just gonna keep this for ourselves because that was the whole point, right? And it, yeah, it wasn't publicly available. But it was a great excuse to say, look, this is bad, but it isn't that bad. And everyone's like, good point. It's not Equifax bad. It's not Target bad. You get a gold star. Congratulations. Right? All right. Uh, yeah. So what else do you got? Talk about that uh, nuclear facility. Nanzance. Yeah. Nuclear. So nuclear. Nuclear. Uh, <laughs> pronounce it, I'm sure. I'm always nuclear. terrified to mispronounce it. Nuclear. Um, it's nuclear, Lisa. I would guess this is a cyber cyber attack, right? It, the details are about as fuzzy as it's going to get. But 
The general gist of the story is that this uh, nuclear reactor facility lost power. Um, and that's and bad. I was just going to say, as soon as you hear something like this just randomly loses power, you can pretty much assume that this was on purpose, right? Like, yeah. not just an accident. In addition to that, they're blaming... Who, who were they blaming again? I thought they were blaming Israel for it. Yeah, I think they are. Yeah, I think they are blaming yeah. Israel. Which is... Which is a safe bet. I mean, come on. <laughs> Wispo just said, hey, did they, are you sure that they, they paid their bill? Because that would be like the most classic thing. Ever. It's like, oh, they didn't pay their bill out of Nenzance. The great people at Bashir, they pay their bills all the time. But uh, Nenzance, we shut their power down. So this, this gets into that hot nation state on nation state action. Ooh. And this also gets into the area of, you know, what, what can we do about it? Well, if we look at like Iran as kind of the United States and Israel's whipping boy uh, for a number of years from a cyber perspective, it, it's been interesting, right? Because if you look at some of the earlier cyber attacks, if you go all the way back to Stuxnet, you can look at the Stuxnet attack and yeah, it's pretty much Israel and the United States. Possibly Russia could have pulled it off, but more than likely it was the United States and Israel. And there's been movies and documentaries and you know, they've, they've, it's been overly dramatized, but for whatever it's worth, that's where you have nation states attacking the operations of another nation state that's refining uranium, which is bad because we don't want them to do that for a wide variety of reasons. But the thing that always cracks me up, though, is as we learn more about what Iran was doing, you find out that their computer security looks like it's ran by like the Keystone cops. I remember there was a video where Iran was giving a tour of you know the, the plant and they had a bunch of screens out in front of them and it, they were all running like Windows XP. And in the lower right-hand corner, you could see the Microsoft Genuine Advantage error was saying that this version of Windows XP was not licensed, right? And, you know, you, you see things like that, and you're like, I think there's probably some pretty good reasons why they were actually compromised relatively easily. In this particular situation, I'd love to know what the scenario was that they actually shut down power to that plant. And that may, people may say that that doesn't seem like a big deal. But if you're looking at like chemical processes, especially chemical processes with, you know, visible material, if you lose power, that can destroy an entire batch or multiple batches that are going through the refinement process. And you have to start back at zero as a best case scenario. With some of the equipment, if you actually lose power in the middle of different tests, different spin cycles, you can literally destroy the equipment. Further, it depends on how the power was actually shut down. Was it just shut off? make a full blackout? Was it a sag? Was it a surge? Was it a brownout? Because all those different things have different impacts on equipment. So this really matters. And this also shows that this is kind of like, um, uh, this is kind of like what happened in Ukraine, where if you can shut down power, that's a, that direct connection between the cyber world and the physical world with direct kinetic impacts. And one of the things that some people, you know, I remember on the Twitterverse, because people get mad about everything on Twitter. In the Twitterverse, people were like, well, this shouldn't be done because this is just going to escalate cyber attacks. And now the Israelis are going to be attacked by the Iranians, and maybe the Iranians are going to attack us, and they're going to attack the power grids, and then it's going to escalate into cyber World War III. I, I don't think it's going to go that far, right? That from, the, from an escalation perspective, who knows? It might. But I don't think it's going to go that far. And I think sometimes we've just got to take a step back, take a deep breath, 
and not try to be completely worked up over what we're seeing in the media on some of these things. Yeah, I mean, the uh, cyber stuff is definitely here, right? We're probably going to see more of this. Uh, I mean, we have, right? We're starting to see more nation state attacks on other nation using some kind of cyber stuff. So it's definitely part of the arsenal now. Like you were saying, there's no point in necessarily saying that this is going to turn into everyone getting their power turned off, right? Or escalating in that case. But, you know, Mm -hmm. it's interesting. But, But this also goes back to the complexity thing that we were talking about at the beginning of the show to bring things around full circle. The the layers of complexity. If you look at the state of the United States power grid, the vast majority of the grid and the way it's designed is designed from like 50, 60, 70 years ago, right? Very, very simple concepts. But now as you start moving into a smart grid, which is becoming more and more necessary, as you're having multiple sources of power coming in, right? Like you're ending up with wind turbines and you're ending up with more power coming from solar. And how do you regulate the amount of power that's coming into the system for people putting up solar panels up on their houses? And it's becoming a lot more complicated. And once again, complexity is the enemy of computer security, right? And this highlights, you know, this is a simple case study. Ukraine is a simple case study. You want another case study, go to 03026 and Blaster, I think it was, whenever it brought down the eastern seaboard of the United States back in 2003. A lot of these attacks are on simple, quote unquote, power grid systems. We aren't even like looking at like smart grid level attacks and the complexities with that. Most of us are. People like Dragos and Ram Lee and all and, and, and Hacks for Pancakes, they're absolutely looking into that. And one of the things you'll notice whenever you sit down and you have a conversation with Rob Emley is just how terrified these individuals are because there's so many different groups and there's so much technology that's getting influxed into the system with very little actual, you know, good security infrastructure being put on top of it. And we're trying to take this new technology and shoehorn it into the old way of doing things and that creates shortcuts. So it's going to get bad. It's going to get bad. And Galaxy Galaxy D said um, everyone will have to go to off-grids, maybe, who, who knows, right? But it's, but it's showing <laughs> that level of complexity. And you're going to see this as a theme in security, like the more complexity and the more legacy technology you're trying to stack crap on top of, the more you're going to have like, additional security vulnerabilities across the board. So I guess, Ralph, once again, you know, we got this story. It's like, what the hell do people do about this? I mean, this is this is an interesting story, but what do you do? Like, do you just do what Galaxy Y or Galaxy D says, which is like, screw it, just off grid. That's fine. Yeah, no, I mean that's that's what it is. It's it, it's a story about what's going on in the world. But as far as like, how do I secure my corporation or whatever from this? It's uh, we got no hints, man. Like this is, <laughs> it's kind of uh, it, it's much bigger than that, right? I, I guess, you know, we're going to we're going to take some solace in the fact that job security, I guess, like every yeah. time you see this stuff show up in the news at BIS, our our like call volume goes up. People are like, oh, my God, there's these companies being hacked. It's in the USA today. It's on Drudge Report. We need a pen test. You know, it's just dollar dollar bills, y'all. And that's a horrible way of looking at it. I know I'm being a bit <laughs> facetious, but it's, you know, it's somewhat true to look at it and be like, well, we've got good job security for a really, really long time in this industry. But damn it, it would be nice if it was like we were getting job security from like happier circumstances. So it's just kind of crazy. Yeah, for sure. So Wispro said they need to apply HIPAA policies to infrastructure systems, a standard to follow that addresses their systems. They do, actually. There's a number of different standards from NIST to NERC SIP that are applied. In fact, there's a lot of regulation on security and the power grid. 
you end up with a ton of exceptions. You end up with um, different co- power companies with different compliance standards, different implementations and interpretations of those standards merging together into new companies and then trying to deconflict that. And then you're dealing with technology that you just can't patch or update easily. It's actually a really complicated issue. Well, I think for this last story I have, we can turn down the uh, the electricity a little bit here and uh, talk about some old exploits, right? So uh, mm. Tenable has an article talking about three different CVEs that currently right now are being targeted by APT actors. So this is uh, CVE, it's one from 2018, one from 2019, and one from 2020. So it's kind of a stack of a, a bunch of different CVEs that have been released. You know, the, the, bigger, the bigger theme here is that they're going after firewalls because that's the front door. And these firewall attacks are really, you know, kind of a one and done, right? The CVEs mm-hmm. was there a, were a path transversal, default configuration, and improper authentication. Now, again, some of these are older. And, you know, some of them, like the 2020 is a CVE 9.8, and it's improper authentication on the, uh, <laughs> the, uh, the Fortinets. And they're, they're actively being exploited in the wild, right? You know, I got a VP, dude, I got a firewall. We're good. We're good. <laughs> security is, security is set, right? Um, but if you look but, at, if you look at Fortinet and a lot of their devices, they, they're targeted small, medium-sized businesses, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of those small, medium-sized businesses, just like you said, they're not going to patch yep. regularly. Even, even people are managed, like Fortinet does a bunch of work with MSSPs where they manage the firewalls for their customers. They don't even do a good job of patching and updating their systems as well. And so you see this replicated. Of course, it's being used by uh, APTs. Oh, Blake, we're going to talk about Firewalla later on this week. We're talking about the APTs, of course. But if you look at uh, the NSA, and if you could scroll down to the CVSS score a little bit, I want to talk about that too. The other thing that's interesting about these is if you look at the NSA and the CIA breach for Vault and uh, Shadow Brokers, there was a ton of remote exploits for Soho devices and Fortinet devices, yeah. you know, in that in that dump because they use it, right? They use those types of attacks a lot. That's the easiest gateway into the environment. And by the way, I, I want to just, I got to throw shade a little bit at Tenable. This, this just pisses me off. All these companies from Qualys to Tenable to Rapid7, they are always talking about prioritizing their their scores. And if you look at this one, it's got a CVSS score of 9.8 and then Tenable's own priority vulnerability priority rating is 9.8. And as near as I can tell, they're like sending it through some type of like little program that takes the CVSS score and then just munges the numbers just a little bit just to make it look like they're creating something new and unique. And I know I'm going to have people from Tenable all over on uh, on my email ripping on me, but come on. It's like this, this, this pisses me off with vulnerability prioritization from vulnerability management companies. I think it's garbage. They don't know what your precious snowflake network does. I, it's, yeah. it's just they, they could be doing other things like adversarial emulation rather than coming up with another priority scheme for people to prioritize their vulnerabilities. But that's a different rant. It's all about those Excel spreadsheets to let me know what's important. You know what I mean? I just got to have those numbers. I just want to know what's critical. Yeah. I only got to fix the critical eyes, right? I can ignore anything that's yellow or green or blue. Or maybe chartreuse, or maybe some pink shades. But for some, pink is critical. So that we've got to <laughs> fix the pink and the purple and the red. And sometimes the orange 
when it goes from a yellow orange to an angry mandarin orange we fix those vulnerabilities as well oh god <laughs> well i mean so but, uh, you did bring up one good point about this and you know kind of outside this article it's just fun. the idea that more actors or threat actors are going after um you know smaller organizations and other organizations that are patching right and you're just saying because oh well they're not patching that's you know one way to go after them and they're easy targets right but you know i also think that they're become launch pads for bigger targets right and right. because they do it because they're associated with other much larger corporations they can use that to gain access to those other corporations you know and that's that supply chain attack right where you're and it's not necessarily that you're you know uh, directly making that part or putting the new chip in it could just be that you guys have an ftp set up because you transfer data all the time and you guys are partners in some kind of industry right and so they use this as maybe they don't care about this company they don't want to attack this company but they care about all the associations that company has with other business or b2b right and how they Mm -hmm. can use those contacts and their connections already inside of this organization to take over that organization so um you know look at these as launch pads as well not just uh, you know easy fish and as far as pen testing we've had multiple examples of this exact scenario right like there was one company that had really, really poor DMZ security control in Brazil. We were able to attack the Brazil and then pivot back to the United States. We had another company that was an international pharmaceutical company where they had websites that they were all cookie cutter. Like they would basically like, here's the website in America and here's it is in the UK, here it is in Singapore. And they just cookie cuttered it, but it was all maintained by different IT groups. And we were able to get in through the Australian group on their website and then access the database for the rest of it. And then my favorite, I think that really kind of goes in with the Soho router thing. There was a company that we were doing a pence on and they actually put their executives uh, house in scope up in upstate New York. So we actually were able to go to upstate New York, break into the wireless router. And then once we were on that wireless network, he had a VPN back to the corporate network that his IT management had set up. Now, the IT group literally told us what to do. They were like, okay, here's what you got to do. You got to go to his house. And then his wireless password is actually his address with no spaces. And then once you get there, you're going to ride the VPN back. I'm like, why are you telling us? I'm like, we freaking hate it and we want it to go away. But that articulates those points about how you can have this weak security Soho routers and things that aren't patched in remote offices. And then they, they, you know, they'll follow you back all the way back to your sensitive data on your corporate. Yeah, that's that's the thing, right? And it, it's kind of, if you want to talk about like, how do you secure this, you're right? like, oh, patch management or whatever. But uh, I think that we are living in a, in, in a world where it's getting broader, right? How you would make those attacks. And I know your example was kind of elaborate, right? And how you would do that. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think that a lot of these attacks are looking for more than what's there and they're willing to uh, dig around a little to find it. So. And a lot of those attack paths we don't even look at as pen testing firms, right? Oh. Like the executive one, we would have never have hit that if it wasn't for their IT director literally giving us a step-by-step script of what he wanted to see us do. But this also gets into, you know, with, with the post-COVID age, which we aren't even post-COVID, we're right still in the middle of COVID. Um, yeah. With everybody working from home, everyone's working remote, these now become amazing attack opportunities yeah. or APT threat actors everywhere. Yeah, if you know what? They, you know, if you know this person works at this organization and, you know, they know nothing about computer security and you attack their personal things, right? And then mm-hmm. use that as a way to get going. 
and those are never in scope in any engagement. And like we had a whole conversation no. on one of the news is about that kind of stuff and why it shouldn't be right. And I'm not even saying it should be. All I'm saying is that that is kind of, you know, broadening the scope, how you would make this, you know, find an easy target well, and expand. And I, I think what's cool is kind of what you just talked about is it kind of ties together the LinkedIn thing we were talking about, where you have people like, what's the big deal to something yeah. like this, right? Where you basically are now like, this particular company has these employees. I'm based out of Seattle. I want to hack them. Okay, what employees are actually in the Seattle area? Now I can get their addresses from another breach. Now I can start attacking them. Once again, this is credit. You know, whenever people are doing threat modeling, they tend not to do it because pen testers and like adversarial teams generally are not allowed to go sit outside of these houses and try to break into their personal networks. It's just not something we do very often because that's stalking. And what we do already is creepy enough without like, mommy, why is there a bunch of guys in a van outside wires? Yeah, that's not. <laughs> hey, honey, could you uh, plug this into your router at home? Don't tell your dad. I'll be in the. I'll be in the alley. Well, he didn't offer candy, so he must be okay. So yeah, just in a totally white van, no no windows at all. Not even like the porthole in the back. Just no, all white just, van. <laughs> but it's got oh. antennas everywhere. Yeah. Spool of cat six out the back. Yeah, that, not not oh. creepy at all. And that's how you get shot. <laughs> uh yeah no that, so, that's a lot no we don't do that <laughs> yeah but I, I sometimes think it's coming yeah dude i sometimes think it's coming in the industry <laughs> well that's easily remedied right i mean we can totally get a van we can get it set up you know uh, I just why does that van say load diaper with spray paint on it oh my god <laughs> Diary of a wimpy kid. Well, well right. anyway, that's coming. Everyone's super excited about that. Everyone's gonna be looking out their window like, hey, get there's another white van again. Yeah. All right. We gotta we gotta wrap this up. Yeah. Is that it for your for your stories? Like Yeah, that, that's all I had for today. There's, yeah. There's the creepy it. line. We're just right up at it. People are listening. It's oh, like well, pen testers. Yeah. Pen testers are weird. Yes. Yes, we are. So they wear hoodies right. and drive white vans, no windows. <laughs> Rental, it's okay. Um, <laughs> to see the rental agency. So you want a white van, no windows. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah that's, that's totes legit. Yeah. Somewhere in Iowa, there's a sheriff that's getting all trigger happy, I'm sure. Um, oh. in, in Adele. So thank you very much for listening to this week's episode of Talking About News with Black Hills Information Security. And hopefully next week, we can twist the arms of other people from Black Hills Information Security to come and join because it's, it's more... It's more. More is better, right? More is better. Uh, won't somebody think of the Wi-Fi and the children? So with that, Ryan, you ready to take us out, sir? <laughs> <laughs>